morning, everyone. The ones that made it on time. Uh, kind of snuck up on me this year. I didn't realize that uh, the spring forward thing was coming this week. I actually saw it in uh, a school newsletter, like spring forward. And I'm like, what already? So um, as people come in at uh, 10.55, 11 o'clock, we will sing How Late Thou Art. Um, <laughs> just to welcome them this morning and, and help them to feel good about being here. Um, but a couple of things just uh, before we start, I wanted to uh, just kind of reiterate what Bob told us about the, uh, the Easter week services. Um, on Thursday at seven o'clock uh, on April the 6th is our foot washing service. And if you have not attended that foot washing service over the last couple of years, it is just a very powerful thing uh, to to just see servanthood in action, to see the example of Jesus Christ being practiced uh, with our brothers and sisters. Uh, we'd like to invite you out to that. We also will have communion served on uh, that Thursday night uh, on the 6th. Uh, on the 7th is our Good Friday service. Again, a, just a wonderful time to reflect on the death of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And then Easter Sunday morning, uh, you are invited to everything. Um, you don't have to choose one or the other. If you don't want to, you can come to the sunrise service and breakfast and the Easter worship service in here. You can come to the sunrise service and breakfast. You can come to breakfast and the Easter service, but we just would love to have you here on Sunday morning uh, to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. But this morning, we are getting near the end of our journey through Paul's letter to the Philippians. We called this sermon series the winter of our contentment, and we're finally getting down to uh, the place where Paul is telling us about how to be content. But before we get there, I'd like to know something. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? You are what you eat? Okay. I, I heard that, I learned that phrase for the first time when I was in third grade, so I was like seven, eight years old. And we learned that saying, and uh, to go along with it, there was this, this, this cartoon character on TV on Saturday mornings. Anybody remember this guy? Time for timer, am I, am I, am I sending some of you way back? To, uh, to your Saturday morning cartoons, Time for Timer. Um, he had this catchy little song about you are what you eat from your head down to your feet. And he would tell us about how, um, you know, we, we, we could have a carrot or he hankered for a hunk of cheese. Um, but he also uh, sang you are what you eat. But in school, when I was seven or eight years old, uh, me being the fairly literal person that I was back then, um, I thought you are what you eat meant that like if you ate lettuce, like lettuce would start sprouting on your body. Seriously, that's what I thought. And, and of course, that's also the year that we learned that beef comes from cows. And I like hamburgers a lot. And I started feeling around on my head. Am I going to grow horns uh, at the top of my head? But <laughs> I know I was a weird child, um, which explains me today. But. It really doesn't mean that, right? It doesn't mean you are what you eat, you're gonna like turn into you know, cauliflower or whatever. It means that what you put into your body becomes a part of your body. Your body uses the nutrients and the fibers and the proteins and the fat and all of those things and, and they create this. And if you 
put things into your body in amounts that are good for you, you're going to end up healthy. And if you eat bacon with every meal, you're going to die happy. So, you know, this, these are the things that, that, that go through my head. You are what you eat. What you take into your body is what makes up your body. It's a physiological truth. But this morning, I want us to discover a, a mental, psychological, and most importantly, a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth is you are what you think. Thinking is a process that our minds use to consider or reason out something. It's using rational judgment and intelligence to come to conclusions. And then we act on those conclusions. We act on the things that we think about. Reason and rational judgment, intelligence, and if we listen to news channels or read social media, we probably think some of those things are in short supply today. There's not a lot of reason, there's not a lot of rational judgment going on today. Mostly we see emotional outbursts. Even on the news, we see these emotional outbursts, and sadly we don't recognize that we're being fed these emotions because emotion is so prevalent in our communication. Usually when we're talking to friends and family, um, yes, of course, obviously we might speak intelligently about things, but a lot of times we also speak very emotionally about things. Like when the boy of the house throws a basketball and breaks the lamp, we become slightly more emotional and a little less reasonable at that particular moment in time. And we're used to that. We're used to these emotional messages that tell us, um, you know, just how we're feeling. And a lot of people like to concentrate on how I feel. But those emotional messages, even the ones from the news, even the ones from social media, basically what people are trying to communicate is how they think the world ought to be, as opposed to these thoughtful, rational conversations where we talk about the world as it is. And as Christians, we operate in both realms. We see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I actually like, and most of you might be used to the, uh, the, the King James version of this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I like both of them. I kind of like King James a little bit better because it, it gives us this contrast between what most people think is faith, which is this kind of like ethereal kind of thing that doesn't have any substance. But Hebrews tells us faith has substance. Faith has evidence. And then when the world hears us talk about this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, usually they accuse us of having something called blind faith. Anybody ever heard that term before, blind? Well, you're just operating under blind faith. You have faith in what you can't see. Have you ever seen God? Then how do you know he's real if you've never seen God? And of course, one might try to reason that out a little bit. One might respond with, well, have you ever seen a Big Bang? Then how do you know it happened? 
And their response might be, well, you can see the effects of the Big Bang, and we have telescopes, and we have science, but you can't provide any evidence for God. And sitting here this morning, I want us to think about this question. What's your evidence for God? Because somebody's going to ask you, what is your evidence for God? Contemplate that question just for a moment. Can you answer that question? What's your evidence for God? First Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Always being prepared to make a defense and to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And making a defense here, when, when Peter writes this, he's talking in legal terms. Anybody ever been to court? Anybody ever watch Law and Order? <laughs> All right, whichever you've seen, right? You've seen somebody standing up there on the witness stand making a defense. Do you swear that the testimony that you were about to receive or that, that you were about to give is the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Of course, they've left out, so help you God, in recent years. But is the evidence that you're going to provide the truth? The world has questions. The world has questions about our hope in Christ, and they should. We should not be upset when people ask us questions about our faith because they don't have that hope that is in Christ right now. And hopefully when they see us, they see that hope reflected. They see Jesus Christ in us and they have questions. And some people who ask those questions, sure, they just wanna give you a hard time. They wanna to try to prove that you have a false hope. But most people who ask those questions are sincerely asking, how, wh why are you so different? What makes you different from these other people at work or these other people at school? Tell me about this. And you can tell them about that hope that is in Christ and pray that they will find that hope. Having people ask questions about our faith is not a bad thing. What is a bad thing is not being able to answer them. We need to know an answer. We need to show them evidence from our lives that show them the hope of Jesus Christ. And maybe even more importantly, and Peter says this near the end of that uh, verse 15, we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. Defending ourselves doesn't mean becoming defensive. 
And we've got to stop thinking that everybody who questions God is attacking God or even attacking us as Christians. A few are, yes, I will give you that. But many people truly want an answer that will make sense to them on a rational and logical level. And we straddle that. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence of things not seen. Evidence is something that you can logically comprehend. So how do we do that? How do we share Christ with these folks? How do we, how do we give them an answer to their questions? Well, first of all, obviously, it takes a lot of prayer. And it takes a lot of reliance on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told people all through the New Testament, don't worry about an answer. Jesus said, don't worry about the answer. The Holy Spirit's going to give you that answer when it's time. But the people that were giving those testimonies, the people that were testifying about Jesus Christ, they were in a constant state of prayer. Help me to make this answer clear to people. And scripture is abounding in instruction about our minds. And really, besides prayer, we really need to start thinking. We need to think about what is it that God has done in me and through me and for me that does make me different. And scripture talks about these things. Jesus said, love the, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We should be thinking about God as much as we love him with our heart and in our soul and fighting with our strength against the enemy. Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, whose mind is stayed on you. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on the earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renewing of our minds, testing, discerning. This is not a blind faith that we practice. We need discernment. We need wisdom. This Roman passage that talks about, it, it's talking about wisdom. And, and in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, it says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So as we're thinking, as we're pondering, as we're contemplating this thing called faith, this, this idea of what God has done for us, we also need to do that with wisdom, with discernment. And this is what Paul starts getting at as he starts to close out his letter to the Philippians. He's already told them to be of one mind. He's told them to strive together for the gospel. 
He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he tells about Jesus's mind of humility and obedience. Paul says, obedience is doing God's will, and humility is counting others more significant than yourself. And when we say the word counting here, we're saying the word think in humility. Think others more significant than yourself. C.S. Lewis once said, a really humble man will not, and I'm sorry, you probably can't read that. A really humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. This is the mind of Christ. Jesus did not think of himself. He thought about a world that needed salvation from sin. That was his mission. That was his thought process. Everything that he did, everything that we read, that he said and did in Scripture, his mind was on saving the world from sin. Even on the night that he was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, and it appeared as if Jesus might give up. It appeared as if he was thinking of himself. He prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. What that means is I don't want to die. But then he goes on. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not thinking of myself, not my will, but yours be done. That was the work of Jesus Christ in the garden. The ultimate humility and obedience. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. How do we get that mind? How do we become so obedient to God that our focus is on His will alone and not on our will, regardless of what His will is? How do we get there? Well, Paul offers a first step. And he offers this first step in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Think about these things and put them into practice. Hear, then do. That's what Jesus instructed us. He said if we only hear his words and we don't do them, it's nothing. But when we hear his words and put them into practice, then we are his disciples. Then we have the mind of Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us to think, to ponder, to reason out those things that are true, honorable, 
just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. And we can take these things separately, and we should think about these things separately. But even the world thinks that they are thinking about these things. But one thing that we have to remember is that Satan twists the thoughts of the world to where they think they're thinking this, but really they're thinking the opposite. Bless you. Truth. Think on things that are true. And everyone is seeking truth, except that people can rarely agree on what it is. Some people, they say that truth is whatever they say it is. I am seeking my truth, and you have to respect my truth. Philosophers even speak about truth being relative. Truth doesn't actually exist. There can in fact be no true truth. Nothing is objectively true, which means that nothing is objectively wrong. The world takes truth and makes it mean what it wants it to mean. And often, that means it's a lie. We're told to honor, or told to think of things that are honorable, this word honor. And we honor a lot of things. We honor moms on Mother's Day, and we honor dads on Father's Day, and we honor high school and college graduates on graduation day. We honor veterans, we honor fallen soldiers. And to honor these people, is okay in and of, of itself, right? But the opposite of the word honor is shame. And we can find many examples of the world honoring what is shameful. We're told to think of things that are just, Justice means to make right. It means loving our neighbors as ourselves, treating others in the way that we want to be treated. And justice is firmly seated in truth. We must know the truth in order to be just. And if the world doesn't believe in truth, or they think that truth is subjective, then justice doesn't really mean much either. It doesn't mean making sure that people are taken care of, all of a sudden justice becomes about causes. It becomes about separating people and saying, I'm right and you're wrong, and you gotta be there and your wrongness and be wrong, and I'm gonna be right because I have the truth even though my truth really isn't true. There's no measure of justice if there's no measure of truth. We're told to think about things that are pure. And if you do a Google search on purity, almost everything that you find will be on sexual purity and abstinence. Whether it's a Christian site or a not Christian site, except that the Christian site is going to encourage purity and the non-Christian site is going to tell you, you have to have sex. If you don't, you'll die. You think I'm being you think I'm exaggerating. I've actually read articles that say you could, you could be in serious health risk if you don't have sex, even if you're 14 or 15 or 16. Talk about a lie. 
world thinks it's foolish. The world thinks it's unrealistic to be pure. So why try? We're told to think about things that are lovely or things that are worth having and holding on to, things that cause us to delight and are worthy of personal affection. And the world holds many things to be delightful and worthy of personal affection. The world delights in drag queens performing for kindergartners at public libraries, doing dances that appear sexual in nature. I've seen the videos. They delight in those things. I actually have people who are friends on Facebook that I, for whatever reason, they're now posting, I stand with drag queens. I stand with drag queens. We're told to think about things that are commendable. Commendable means praiseworthy. King James says that these things are of good report. And the world commends things and gives good reports about things that are not very commendable. You can see headlines like this. The raunchiness of this movie is just what we need right now. Or Satan wins at the Grammys and it's glorious to behold. Those are actual headlines. Paul wrote earlier that in this letter that our goal as individuals, but even more as the church, is to be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes of the world. He says, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And before we start bashing any of these people out in the world and start sending sinners to hell. Well, let's think about that for a second. Weren't we once those people? Weren't we once people without Christ? Weren't we once people without hope? Weren't we once the twisted generation that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1? Most certainly we were. And Christians like to say things, well, I haven't done anything that bad. To which I say, sin is sin. We were that crooked and twisted generation until we heard and accepted and started living the truth of Jesus Christ. So let's not bash those people so much. Let's pray for them. Let's live our lives as an example for them so that they might know Jesus, so that they might see the glory of God in our faces and in our lives. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. If we spent our lives thinking about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and of good report, we certainly would not be walking around with faces like this. 
I'm angry at the world. Why isn't this person in front of me going faster at the checkout? Why won't my card work at the gas station? Folks, we're supposed to be people who are full of joy. Joy does not look like this. Right? I hope. Anyway. But we are to think on these things because thinking on these things actually means something just a little different than thinking of them as separate things. We often look at this list and we say, well, let's see, how, how, how can I think about what's true? Uh, what's honorable that I can think about today? What's, what's pure that I can think about today? And, and thinking about those things, sure, that's a good thing. But I want to think about these things just a little bit differently. What I want to do is think about all these things together. So let me ask you this. If we combine what is true and just and honorable and lovely and pure and commendable, if we think of all of those things at one time, what do we think of? When we are thinking of what is pure and just and true and lovely and commendable, we should be thinking about Jesus Christ. we should be thinking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said he is the truth. Honorable means worthy of reverence. And we even pray that God's name is hallowed. Hallowed means worthy of reverence. Justice is another word for righteousness. And God's law, God's commands, Jesus' teachings, they are righteousness. Purity means free from sin. Jesus knew no sin. Lovely means worthy of our affection, worth keeping and having. God deserves our love and affection. Commendable means goodness that is worthy of praise. The Holy Spirit works in and through us to do works that please God, that are commendable where people will give us good report. When we think of all these things together, our minds should turn to Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us to think about these things. What he really means when he says, think about these things, think about Jesus. Think about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And really think about them. Yes, we have this emotional part of our being where we worship God and we um, rightly praise him. But we also need to start thinking. We need to start using our minds to dwell on who God is. We need to start looking at the, the logical, reasonable response to who God is. Our faith is not something that should be blind. It is something that should be based on logic and reasoning. Because we have seen things. We have seen the effects of God. 
I remember seeing a TV show one time where somebody was trying to film the wind. And they said, oh yeah, well, we'll just show, show, show some leaves flying by. And that's like, no, 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 not the effects of the wind. Film the wind. Of course, we can't see God, but can we see his effects? Can we see the things that God does in our lives and in the lives of those that we love and in the lives of those who are our enemies? Yes, we certainly can. And after we think about these things, we need to do them. Things that are true, just, honorable, pure, lovely, commendable. When we think of those things, they should drive our actions. To do things that are true and just and pure and honorable and of good report. So I ask you again, what's your evidence for God? Let me put it another way. A churchy way. What's your testimony? You've been in church for a while. You probably have heard that word testimony. But I don't want you to think about it as testimony like that necessarily. What I want you to think about is you're put on trial. And somebody's asking you questions about God. What's your testimony? What are you going to say about him? What are you going to say about your life with him? Some of us have never thought about that before. And I'm going to put people on the spot this morning. Not really. I'm going to pass around a clipboard. And I want you to think about something. If you are willing to stand up in front of this church body and give your testimony, if you're willing to stand up in front of this church body and answer the question, what's your evidence for God? I want you to put your name and your email address and your phone number on this paper. Next Sunday is Testimony Sunday. Next Sunday, I don't want you to hear from me. Yes, I'll give my testimony too. But we need to hear from each other. What has God done in the individuals in this church that make this church strong, that make this church able to do God's work in building the kingdom? And I know, I'm looking at somebody right now who does not like to get up and talk in front of people. And I'm probably looking at a lot more that do not like to get up and talk in front of people. And I understand but if you can't talk to us, if you can't talk to your church family about all of the things that God has done in your life, how are you going to hope to talk to somebody else? How are you going to hope to talk to your neighbor or your classmate or your coworker about Jesus Christ? How are you going to answer their questions? This would be good practice for you. And I'm not saying everybody needs to sign up, but I am encouraging you, if God is leading you to share your testimony, sign up on this, and I'm going to be in contact later in the week.
to talk about next week's service. But even if you don't come up next week, even if you are terrified of speaking in front of people, I want you to think about that question. I want you to ponder that question. What is your testimony? What is your evidence for God? It might even be useful to start writing some things down throughout your week, during your devotional time, during your prayer time. Think on these things and start thinking about what you would say to somebody that asks you that question. What's your proof? What's your evidence? What's your testimony? I pray that you will do that this week and in the weeks to come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are true and just and pure and honorable and commendable and lovely. Father Paul says, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, you are excellent and you are worthy of our praise. And we want to think on you. We want to think about you. We want to think about the things that you have done in and through us. We want to think about the miracles, big and small, that we've experienced because of you. Mostly, we want to think of the world that doesn't yet know you. <coughs> Father, we pray that you bring people into our lives that we might be able to answer their question. What's your evidence? What's your testimony? Father, help us to shine our light to the world so that they will want to ask that question and give us the strength and the knowledge and the power of the Holy Spirit to answer it. And after we have, Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit will work in and through those people to help them understand who Christ is and what He has done. And they will come to faith in Him. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. I'm going to be praying for you this week that you can start to think about how you will answer this question. What is your evidence for God? What has God done? How have you seen God working to prove that He is who He says He is? I'm going to pray for all of you this week and I ask that you would do the same for me because it's always good to keep those things in our thoughts and as we work, walk into work, as we walk into maybe places where we're not supposed to share Jesus Christ with people, at least we can share the light of Jesus Christ. At least we can show them that we are different. And guess what? When they ask the question, you get to talk. So I pray for your strength. I pray for your uh, thoughtfulness this week. God bless you.